It's a once-in-a-decade battle at the State House, and it could shape our state's politics for the next 10 years. Today, we're hearing from Republican leaders at the State House and talking one-on-one with State Democratic Chair Mike Schmull. Plus, Senator Mike Braun reacts to the president's new vaccine mandates and the former vice president back in Indiana and back in the news once again. It's all ahead this Sunday in Focus. Good morning. We continue to see something of a plateau in our state's daily coronavirus numbers. Experts telling us this week they expect Indiana to reach that peak in the coming days. This as the FDA meets to talk about boosters and as the conversation continues about the president's new COVID-19 mandates. More reaction from here in Indiana coming up. Meantime, in Washington, security concerns and another big rally, the so-called Justice for January 6th rally in the nation's capital over the weekend. Much more later this morning on Fox News Sunday and Face the Nation. But we start this morning at the Indiana State House and a process that plays out just once every 10 years. We're talking about redistricting with new maps that could change who will be on your ballot next time you go to vote. It's an issue we're taking a closer look at this morning. And we start with State House reporter Kristen Escal looking at the impact here in Indiana. The redistricting process helps determine who represents you in Congress and at the Indiana State House and plays a big role in shaping the future of Indiana politics. Now, these maps released are not the final maps, but they give us a look at what Indiana's congressional and state legislative districts could look like over the next 10 years. If you have a child in kindergarten, that kid will be, have a driver's license likely by the time these maps are no longer used. Julia Vaughn of Common Cause Indiana says that's one reason why maps like these will make a lasting impact. On the left side of your screen is the current congressional map, and on the right side of your screen is the map proposed by Indiana House Republicans. If this map is approved by the Indiana legislature, some of the biggest changes would impact Marion County. Northern Marion County would switch from Congresswoman Victoria Sparks's district to Congressman Andre Carson's district. And Southern Marion County would be in Representative Greg Pence's district. My impression is that we are going to continue to have non-competitive congressional races here in Indiana. If the nine um, members of the congressional delegation decide to run for re-elect, uh, re-election, all nine of them will be re-elected. That's based on how people voted in 2020. Bill Morrow of the Indiana Citizen Education Foundation says that's not how it should be. Fair maps would yield competitive races that might create a congressional delegation uh, that was 6-3 or 5-4. Nonpartisan experts I've spoken with also have concerns about the process being used to create the maps. State officials say they could get approval in the legislature in less than three weeks. Rima Shahid of Women for Change says that's not enough time. Citizens were supposed to be kept informed along the way, and I don't think that has happened. People can are, are going to think what they want to think. But I think we can stand behind coming here, presenting very um, you know, maps that, that met the goals that we had. This is a challenging process, and not everybody's going to be pleased. You, you do the you do the best you can. That was Kristen Escal reporting. You heard from Republican leaders there at the end of Kristen's report. Also this week, I spoke with the chairman of the Indiana Democratic Party, Mike Schmoll. I want to get your response first to what we've seen at the State House this week when it comes to the redistricting process. Yeah, you know, I think that uh, we obviously saw the maps a couple of days ago, and I think the, the word process is key. Um, and I have been pretty clear, as have members of my party across the state, um, that it was an unfair 
uh, and not a very transparent process at all. I think that we have seen over the last year, uh, 10 years, what uh, you know, poor redistricting has done for the Hoosier state. Uh, and it seems like the Indiana Republican Party is just really doubling down on that. Um, they said that they would uh, have public input and go around the state. Um, they did sort of that, but they didn't take questions. Um, it really felt like people were sort of there to drop little pieces of paper in a comment box. And that was about it. I'd also add, uh, this was all done behind closed doors. Uh, and done well in advance of, of the last couple of days. And so, you know, they hired a DC GOP operative to kind of come in, uh, kind of fix the system to their liking. And I think that that's unfair for Hoosiers. This process, though, going back many years, has been under scrutiny, going back to when Democrats were in charge of the process. Wouldn't Democrats not seek to draw maps that would aim to maintain their advantage if they were in charge? Now, where do you draw the line here? You know, I think what we've seen, um, especially over the last decade, is that our politics has changed a lot. Um, you know, media campaigns, um, the extremism that we've seen, uh, people really race to their own corners. And a lot of that has to do uh, with not a lot of competition and not a lot of involvement in democracy, uh, particularly Hoosier democracy. Um, you know, I think people sort of think on election day, does my vote really matter? Um, and at the core issue, we need to show uh, to Hoosier voters that it does. Uh, and I think that you provide that through more balance with both parties uh, at every single level, federal, state, and local. Now, because of so many things that have changed in our politics, you know, we have really advocated and pushed for an independent commission that would take the authority away from the political parties. Uh, we really believe that that voters should pick their politicians uh, and elected office holders, not the other way around. I want to get your reaction also uh, to Senator Braun and others in, in the party who've been critical of the president's new mandates for private businesses of a certain size to either get employees vaccinated or get tested on a regular basis. I've been very clear on mandates uh, from early on that when they come from the federal level or state level, uh, generally, they don't work. Regardless of whether it does or not, on its merits, mandates like this, I don't think are going to sit well with Hoosiers. What's your response to that? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would tell him to look back in the uh, not-so-distant history books. I think 2017, Mike Braun himself in the State House voted for a vaccine mandate uh, for college students, I believe, with meningitis. Um, the only thing that has changed um, you know, public health has not changed, but politics has. And I think that Mike Braun and, and other Indiana Republicans uh, can't see past that, that partisanship when they're making decisions. You know, Dan, we are over uh, 50% for Hoosiers who have had both shots, uh, and that's to be welcomed. Um, but we have to get up to levels that are closer to 75% so we can reach that critical herd immunity. You know, myself, uh, friends, family, folks that I talk to as I travel the state, we all want to get out uh, of the pandemic. There's no question. Um, and so I am for uh, things that just get more people vaccinated and get people vaccinated quickly. My interview there with Chairman Mike Schmoll. We're going to talk with GOP Chair Kyle Hupfer next week. Meantime, Senator Braun in a statement this week saying, quote, we will not sit by as the president chips away at the liberty this country was built on. That's why we're formally challenging this rule now under the Congressional Review Act. President Biden has faced a lot of criticism from Republicans in recent weeks on vaccine mandates in the midst of this Delta surge and also on the situation in Afghanistan, all of that perhaps leading to sagging approval numbers in recent months. At the center of many of these situations the White House is facing 
in Indianapolis native, President Biden's chief of staff, who was featured recently in an article from insiders Adam Wren. Inside Ron Klain's summer from hell and how he got here. Adam joins us now with more. Indeed, Adam, after Afghanistan, the Delta variant, this has not been the summer of celebration the White House had been hoping for. What are you hearing about the chief of staff's role in everything that's transpired? That's right, Dan. Well, I can tell you that uh, Ron Klain from sources in the White House that I spoke with is drinking uh, more Diet Coke than ever. Uh, he's sleeping less than ever before. Uh, he famously doesn't drink coffee, uh, but does need caffeine to kind of deal with these uh, crises that he's uh, he's, you know, confronting along with Joe Biden. Um, you know, I can tell you that uh, his the White House wants to make the counsel that he's offering to the president, you know, very private. Uh, but, you know, for all intents and purposes. We understand him to be one of the last people uh, in the room with Joe Biden when he's making decisions like this. A very involved chief of staff from what you're hearing? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Republicans uh, call him Prime Minister Klain. Uh, they sort of uh, caricaturize him as the, the man behind the curtain, kind of pulling the strings. Uh, the White House uh, rejects that uh, and say that uh, Biden is you know, chiefly in charge here uh, and that Klain is just a staff person. Uh, but this is a job that Klain has been working towards in many ways since he was you know, seven years old here in Indianapolis when he first uh, met Bobby Kennedy. Yeah, North Central grad, you've profiled his days here in Indianapolis in your piece there in Insider. Uh, meantime, a key Hoosier from the previous administration back in the news this week as well, talking about former Vice President Mike Pence, who was uh, mentioned in the new Bob Woodward book, reportedly seeking advice ahead of January 6th from another Indiana VP, Dan Quayle, who reportedly told Pence, quote, you have no flexibility on this. None. Zero. Forget it. Uh, quite quite a, uh, a series of quotes there in this new Woodward book about these two former Indiana vice presidents. That's right. And of course, we don't know the exact source of that conversation with Woodward. Uh, it's a little sketchy, but we do know that Woodward has had a long relationship with Dan Quayle, uh, writing a book about him uh, back in the, in the 90s, uh, even in the late 80s. Uh, and so when you step back, uh, what you really can draw the conclusion of is that Dan Quayle and Dan Quotes are two, uh, Dan uh, Coates are two uh, Hoosiers uh, who have really cooperated, it seems like, with Woodward, or at least people close in their orbit, to really kind of offering a not flattering portrait of former Vice President Mike Pence in uh, two important Woodward books that we've seen over the last year. A lot of Hoosiers also uh, reacting to some of the news about uh, General Milley in that book. Indiana, as always, playing an important role uh, in national politics. That's why the newsletter Adam writes is called Importantville. Adam, thanks. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for being with us. Well, still ahead this Sunday in Focus, the former vice president among those who gathered in Logansport this week to remember a fallen Indiana Marine killed in Afghanistan. But up next, we'll talk with our panel about this redistricting battle at the State House, what it means for Hoosiers, and how things could play out in the coming months and years. Today, we're talking about the redistricting battle at the State House and what it could mean for Hoosiers in the upcoming elections and for the next 10 years. Let's bring in our panel now to talk about the impact here in Indiana. Bill Morrow, Abdul Hakim Shabazz, Laura Beck, Tony Samuel with us. And let's start with Bill Morrow from the Indiana Citizen. Bill, your organization has been focused on this issue here in recent weeks and months. Like it or not, is this how you expected to see the process play out? Well, you know, I, I feel a little bit like that uh, uh, venerable and venerated American philosopher Yogi Berra, that this seems like deja vu. Uh, all over again, right? Those of us who were around 10 uh, years ago to watch the last redistricting, um, you know, it, it looks like the same playbook uh, was pulled out uh, 10 years uh, later. 
Uh, and so on Tuesday, uh, the uh, House majority uh, released uh, its proposed uh, maps. Now, that was the first glimpse that anybody uh, had uh, of them. They, they spent weeks with the census data toiling behind uh, closed doors. The idea that this was a transparent process is just uh, just absurd. You know, in fact, um, you know, the, uh, the sponsor, the author of the bill said that they had gone through thousands uh, of iterations and that they had come up with the best map that they could. Well, okay, well, let's see those thousands of iterations and see whether there were uh, a, a better alternatives okay. to produce fair maps, right? To produce maps that would create competition uh, so that uh, there wouldn't be these lopsided supermajorities that are out of sync with the political balance uh, in Indiana. But they did it again. In fact, uh, an outside expert, Professor Warshaw from uh, uh, George Washington University, uh, 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 analyzed the plan and he said, look, these are just like the, the ones that were produced uh, 10 years ago. Uh, they're going to produce uh, Republican supermajorities um, in the Indiana House of Representatives and, and, and we'll in the congressional district. I mean, if, yeah. if you want to look, if you really want to get an example of what gerrymandering looks like and look at the congressional maps, compare the 2011 maps to the 2020 maps because they're only nine. And, and, and we are going to. Yeah, we're going to take a take take a take a closer look at those maps here here today for sure. Uh, let's turn to, to Abdul Hakim Shabazz from IndiePolitics.org as well. Abdul, what's what's your response to some of what Bill said there, and what, what are you hearing from Republicans at the State House about the process itself? Well, as much as I love my good friend Bill Moreau uh, to death here, I'm going to respectfully disagree. The only criteria that Republicans have to follow with the maps are the U.S. and the state constitution. The U.S. Constitution says that the populations must be as close as humanly possible together, and you cannot dilute minority voting. That is it. And from a legal perspective. Republicans have met that requirement. The, the populations are within like maybe one to maybe two percentage of each other, and they did not dilute minority voting rights. After that, technically everything else is fair game. We may not like it, but but legally, this is what they are required to do, and this is what they did. They met I the will legal stipulate to that. I will stipulate to the fact that fact. Okay, let's bring in uh, Democratic strategist Laura Beck here. Laura, this this process certainly cut the other direction uh, in previous years when Democrats controlled the process. Does, does that make it more difficult to challenge what's happening now? No, I, I don't think it makes it difficult to, to challenge what's happening now. I mean, I, I do think I agree with Bill. I mean, these are incredibly gerrymandered maps. Um, you know, you're, you're going to have a 70-20 advantage in Congress and you're going to have a 70-30 advantage in the Indiana House of Representatives when, in fact, Na uh, national statewide races such as president and Senate, you know, Democrats were trending 45 and, and 41 in those races. So it doesn't really accurately reflect, I think, the voting population. Um, what ultimately ends up happening, though, is that the election happens at the primary level. And the folks who come out in the primaries are tend to be on the extreme on both sides. And so when you have extreme voters in a primary, you get extreme legislators, you get extreme um, members of Congress. And that doesn't bode well for good government at all. And then you end up with things like RIFRA. You end up with a botched COVID response and a general assembly that thinks that they should be the county commissioners. You just end up with bad policy and okay. no one benefits in the long run from that. F finally, Tony Samuel, former communications director for the House Republicans at the State House. Tony, what's, what's your response to what Laura said there? Well, there's a lot to unpack here. Obviously, I, I agree with uh, Abdul. They, they did follow the federal guidelines. They've met their responsibilities. They also kept, they focused on keeping communities of interest together. Of interest together. 
They uh, focused on compactness and on county lines um, being uh, more, more, more closely drawn. Uh, it was a transparent process. Um, they had a portal where people could give input along with the nine public meetings around the state. But I'll, I'll take you back to a, a little bit of history here because I was the communications director for the House Republicans from late 01 to late 07. So I was dealing with the redistricting from 2001, but Democrats also controlled it uh, in 1991 when Evan Bayh was governor and they had the majority in the House. In 2001, as I said, Democrats uh, drew the maps, but we fought with issues. We uh, had a right track Indiana plan led by Brian Bosman and then Mitch Daniels in 2004 ran for governor. And that's when we took control of the house because we focused on the issues, not crying about the, the way lines were drawn, but we focused on getting the state back on track economically. We had major okay. moves. We had DST yeah. reform uh, change and, and, and we had just a host of telecom so, reform, all kinds of things. And that's what Democrats need to focus on. So, so let's talk now about the, the very real implications of these maps. If, if they are indeed finalized and approved as drawn up this week, there's a committee hearing tomorrow. The process goes from there. But if these maps do go there, there's certainly a big shift here in Marion County with big implications for the 5th Congressional District. Laura, does this put the 5th District out of reach for Democrats after a somewhat close race last time? It, it certainly makes it an uphill climb. Well, I don't think we should ever say anything's out of reach for us, um, because I think one of the things that we're going to be focusing on, and I, I think you heard Chairman Schmall um, so uh, well articulated our position. I mean, we've got to focus on recruitment and registration. We've got to get more people to vote, and we've got to find candidates that are going to accurately um, accurately represent those areas and, 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 and represent them in a way um, that folds in with the interest of that district. Um, but at the same time, um, that was a move designed to protect that seat. And so whether it's Victoria Svartz or somebody who beats her in a primary or someone else who comes along in a primary, they are trying okay. to protect their turf. Yeah. And they did it at the expense of the folks who live in the Southern half of Marion County. So I don't necessarily know if someone who uh, lives in the Southern half of Marion County is going to have something in common with a rural district in Henry County. Okay. And even the Republican 6th District Chair had shared that they weren't really happy about that. Abdul, as, as Laura uh, said a few moments ago, doesn't this process to some degree make the red districts redder, the blue districts bluer? Doesn't that continue to perhaps give a lot more power to those who might be on the fringe or extreme ends of both parties when it comes to that constant threat of getting primaried in a district that might not be as competitive in the general election? I think that's a short-term consequence, but you also have to look at this long-term. And Hamilton County, uh, sort of south of 32-38 uh, in the 5th District, is becoming more and more purple. So I think that to say that Republicans made the 5th District more red, I don't think so, because I think they just basically delayed the inevitable. Uh, and so what you got to remember, too, is that politically, demographically speaking, Indiana has changed. There's been Democrats for as far as the eye could see along the Ohio River in southern Indiana. Now they're like, you know, the passenger pigeon or the water buffalo. They're an endangered species, almost going to weigh like Republicans were in Marion County. So as politics change, yeah. so do the political demographics change. Okay. Uh, Bill, very quickly here, are we going to see any changes to these maps, do you think, or, or is this pretty set in, set in stone at this point? I would surpri I'd be surprised if the supermajority accepted um, any alternatives. I'd be pleasantly uh, surprised. Uh, in state house speak, this legislation is on rails, right? This, the, the Senate maps are going to be uh, released uh, next uh, Tuesday. 
and uh, with in, in short order, right? Uh, the, the House of Representatives will be expected to amend the House bill on second reading sure. to incorporate the Senate maps that they just okay. saw. T so, Tony, you want to get your thoughts too quickly here. Are these the final maps? Will we see more changes? Uh, I think they're probably mostly the final maps. What Democrats have to, to um, instead of just in generalities, complain about this, um, give some examples of what they would change. I'm not, I'm not sure if they've done that or if they're planning on doing that. So I think, uh, you know, this will be probably final. And, okay. and again, this is something we talk about, you know, really essentially once every 10 years. Right. It's the issues that matter to folks and the Republicans have been more right on okay. the issues. Our right, thanks to the panel. They'll be back for this week's Winners and Losers in just a couple of minutes. Up next, a fallen Indiana Marine killed in Afghanistan. How Hoosiers remembered Corporal Umberto Sanchez next. He specifically stood his post aiding vulnerable adults and children at the airport, fleeing for safety. And let me assure you, he will never be forgotten. Former Vice President Mike Pence in Logansport this past week to attend the funeral for Corporal Umberto Sanchez. He was one of 13 service members killed in an ISIS attack in Afghanistan. We'll have more coverage from this week's Remembrance on our website. Stick around. We'll be back right after this. All right, time for this week's winners and losers. Abdul, you're up first. Uh, my winner, uh, Victoria Sparks in the 5th District. Uh, she'll be in the safe district. And my losers, unfortunately, are House Democrats who took a pass on offering up uh, their perspective uh, on these maps. Bill? Partisan Republicans are the big winners. Voters of Indiana, the big losers. Tony? Just losers. Joe Biden, Ron Klain, and the entire Biden administration. While we've been distracted with Mark Milley, we still don't know how many Americans are left behind uh, enemy lines in Afghanistan and what the plan is to get them out. Laura? Uh, my winner are the groups um, that are advocating for redistricting reform, including bills, Indiana Citizen and Women for Change. Uh, my loser is Mike Pence, based on what came out in the new Woodward book. All right. Thank you all for being with us. Much more ahead on Fox News Sunday and Face the Nation. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus.